Second Samuel 11, we have been doing a series for really this fall. I'm going to wrap it up the, uh, today and the next time we get together. But it's been called Turnaround Leaders for Troubled Times. And if there's anything America needs today, it is indeed a turnaround leader. Not just on a, on a national scale, we've been looking through the leaders in the books of Samuel, the books of Judges, but also, how many know broken families need a turnaround leader? Every cheerleader squad needs a turnaround leader. Every football team needs a turnaround leader. City government needs turnaround leaders. And we've been looking at men and women. We've been trying to find some attributes that you can imitate, that you can put into your life. We've looked at the good as well as the bad. And last time we talked, we talked about David. David was probably the greatest leader in Israel's history. And in the New Testament, it's recorded of him in Acts 13 that God said this about David. I have found David, and I want you to say this with me. A man after my own heart, he'll do everything I want him to do. Now, how many know when God looks at you and says that, that's, an, that's a reputation you want to follow. That's something that we can have God hopefully say about us, is this guy is really serious about me and about loving me. Well, David did some great things in his life, but David is also an example to us that even godly people with good hearts make mistakes. Let me say it again. Godly people with good hearts make mistakes. And we want to look at David's mistake today. I'm going to call this the big no-no. This is part one. And we're going to talk a bit about temptation today. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, in the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. Now we're going to come back to that, but he was in the wrong place at the wrong time and got in trouble. Verse 2, and again, I'm condensing this. It's about a chapter and a half. Verse 2, one evening David walked around the roof of the palace and he saw a woman bathing. Now, I suggest to you that was a decision point. And he could decide that he's either going back in the house, but apparently he didn't. He stayed. She was very beautiful and David sent someone to find out about her. And the man came back and said, isn't this Bathsheba the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now, Uriah was a soldier. He was one of David's good friends. And he was out on the battlefield doing what literally he, he was supposed to be doing, fighting, while David was at home getting in trouble. Uh, verse 4, David sent messengers to get her, and he slept with her. In verse 5, the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. Now, how many know it's the appeal of our lust, the appeal of sin that looks real great initially, but afterwards it can yield some terrible consequences? If we had time, we'd read the whole story, but you would see that after this happens, she gets pregnant, and then David starts scheming, trying to get out of it. How many know that when we get in trouble, that's the first thing we do? It's what Eve did. It's what you do. It's what I do. Uh, one of my children many years ago, we kind of thought we'd lost him for a while. It was John when he was about four or five, and uh, we went all the house, couldn't find him, went through the neighborhood, started panicking, and lo and behold, I guess it was the Lord, but I just checked in a closet, and here he is sitting in the corner with a bag full of cookies. <laughs> and of course, I said, are you eating those cookies that you're not supposed to? Uh-uh, and he's got cookies in hand, he's got crumbs. Well, when we do the big no-no, we know we're going to get in trouble, and we just kind of hide it. We try to cover it up, and that's exactly what David did. David got Uriah to come back home from the battle. Hopefully, he'd go home, be with his wife, and then it would be, quote, Uriah's baby. didn't happen. Then he gets, he says, well, I know what I'll do, and he literally has his friend killed. 
How many know the fear of being exposed? I don't care if it's General Petraeus, it's in the national headlines now, whoever it is, it makes us cover ourselves. And lo and behold, David did a terrible thing. He murders his friend, and then he brings her to be his wife, and he thinks everything's going to be okay. But how many know whether no one else knows about our mistakes? God knows. God knows and we know. Well, in this case, God told the prophet, and as we pick up in chapter 12, the prophet accuses him. Uh, it's all out in the open. And he said, verse 9, Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in God's eyes? For you struck down Uriah the Hittite, that was murder, with the sword. You took his wife to be your own, that's adultery. In verse 13, David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Now, how many know there's a right way and a wrong way to respond when we mess up? Now, this morning, I'm going to talk about temptation and avoiding the devil's trap. But next time we talk about this, I'm going to talk about what to do when I do mess up. Because if you're like me, there are things in life, come on, where we just, we're not the way that we want to be. And how many know there's a right way and there's a wrong way? And the right way starts with confessing and acknowledging it before God. Because how many know God's not there just to, you know, spank us or to punish us? God wants to restore us. God wants forgiveness to be full and complete and help us get back on the pathway and live the rest of our life in a way that's going to bring glory to Him. Well, lo and behold, Nathan replied, God has forgiven you. He's taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But tragically, verse 14, the consequences would be is that the son born of that union would die. I mean, no sin always has consequences. So this is what we want to talk about this morning. I want to help you avoid this big no-no. I guarantee if you're cared enough to come to church on a Sunday morning, there is in your heart a desire to live for God. And I want to commend you. Could have stayed home, kind of cool out this morning. But I want to help you kind of understand that Satan's tool of temptation. Because I can promise you this, from now to the day you die, you're going to face temptation. And you're either going to give in to it, and if you give in to it, Satan will use it to destroy your life. He'll use you to get you in bondage. But if you can avoid the tempter's snare, how many know life only gets better and better? And that's what I want to help you with today, how to avoid that dirty dog. Come on and keep him at arm's length rather than letting him wreak havoc in our lives. So let's talk about the big no-no. Genesis chapter 3. I want to talk about temptation as Satan's tool to bring us into bondage. And the first thing I want to talk about is about the first temptation. It happened in the Garden of Eden with Eve. You know the story, the serpent. And uh, you have the picture back there? Okay, so there you see kind of a, a modern rendition of what was going on. And you see that snake. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see a snake, my first intent is to recoil. Any snake lovers here? Let me see. Any hands here? Snake lovers have pets? Golly. Are you all from out of state or out of country? Here in Texas and Arkansas, we have a saying, the only good snake. Okay, somebody said king snake. Well, smarty, smarty. Okay, I know that. All I know is when I see him, I want to get away from him. And all the church said... <laughs> But I want you to see that snake now is not just something to recoil from, but somehow it was a picture of Satan somehow inhabiting, using this serpent. This is not a myth. It's not mythology. It's not something made up in some guy's mind a long time ago. But literally, this was a little event that happened. This is the explanation of why bad things are in the world. Now, as we read through this passage, we're going to see that Satan is offering her something that sounds good. And I mean, that's what the tempter always does. He offers you something that will be pleasing to you, that you'll enjoy. But when you give in to it, how many know it's shame, it's guilt, it's condemnation, and the world kind of falls apart around you. 
Genesis 3, verse 1, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. Now, this was before there were problems in the world. There was no pain. There were no snake bites. There were no dentists. I mean, there was no, you know, no IRS. Everything was great in the world. Now, the curse of the snake would be is that he would crawl on his belly in the dust. Now, we don't know if before the fall, he could have walked around or he could have still been crawling a bit. I mean, he could have had snake feet or he could have had snake roller blades or whatever. But somehow, he is talking to Eve and having a conversation. And he said to the woman... And notice the first thing is to question God, to question God's authority, to question right and wrong. Now, I'm going to suggest as you look into this, see how it applies to your life because temptation works the same today. First thing, did God really say that? Is it really wrong to smoke pot? I mean, after all, half of the Arkansans that voted, you know, voted to legalize it for at least for medical use. So, you know, is it really wrong? Is it really wrong to have sex before marriage? Is it really wrong to steal when nobody will know? After all, your boss, wherever, they have more money than you do. After all, it's a drug dealer. Nobody nobody will know. Is it really wrong? Did God say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the tree of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, this first conversation, Satan is probing to see if she knows the truth. He's probing to see if she knows the Word of God. Satan's not a mind reader. And literally in this dialogue, he asked her, did God really say this? And she knew. See, Satan kind of said, did God say you can't eat of any of these trees? Oh, no, no, no. God didn't say sex was wrong. God said, in your marriage, it's a blessed thing. But outside of marriage, it causes problems and pain down the road. See, God said, so she knew what was right and she knew what was wrong. Verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, oh, you're not going to die. Imagine calling God a liar. Imagine telling God is not trustworthy. You can't believe God. Uh, This is not true. Uh, The consequences, they're not going to be as bad. You'll not surely die. Really, that was a half-truth. Now, death is twofold. Death is physical death, and she didn't physically die at the moment. Let me understand that. But death is also a spiritual separation from God. And that's what happened. She was spiritually separated from God, had no clue what it meant. All she knows is Satan is whispering in her ear, just like the person with the joints coming around the room, come on, and if the pills are coming out of the bag, come on, one won't hurt. It'll make you fun. We'll have a good time. Everybody is doing it. Then verse 5, Satan questions further. God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God knowing good and evil. So now she's questioning his character. She's questioning the fact, because God, is, she's, according to the serpent, is withholding something good from you. I mean, after all, who wants to be a Christian? All that is is all those rules and you don't have any fun in life. And I mean, God doesn't want you to have a good time. God doesn't want you to enjoy life. All God wants you to do, listen, God wants to withhold that whatever it is, that new iPhone, uh, because if you had to steal the money, that's the only way you can get it if you stole or if you lied on some form you fill out. And after all, I mean, the iPhone, you know, I mean, I need an iPhone. And all it is is a little form, you know, it's the box that I check. I mean, and if I, if I check this box or that box, and I know I'll get it because my friends have got it, so we're going to do it. I mean, no, that's the way it works all the time all around us. Now, what should she have done? What should she, if we could fast forward this deal. I had a friend come to me this morning, one of our services, 
tears in his eyes. And last night he told me at Thanksgiving he's going to see his mom and his stepdad, and, and he wanted to have the courage to be able to witness to his stepdad. And we prayed and had to look for the right opportunity in the right moment. He came to me this morning with a tear in eyes and said, My stepdaddy died last night. And I don't know if he's in heaven. I, I, I don't know. Where did, why does that happen? Right here. This dialogue with Eve opened destruction in the human race. This is where it all came from. What she should have done, and here's advice, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, New Testament. Now listen to this. It tells us where most spiritual warfare is. The weapons of our warfare have divine power to destroy strongholds. A stronghold is like a fortress in your mind. It's a belief system, a value system. It's almost like I can't help myself. I can't control my actions or behavior. It's a stronghold. These weapons have power to destroy strongholds. We destroy, and listen, arguments, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every what? Thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So arguments, opinions, and thoughts, where are these found? In the mind. And I will suggest to you that in the dialogue of your mind, when you're being tempted, could well have a spiritual element in it. So, well, I don't see anybody... Well, you've never seen God who created this wonderful world. Come on. You've never seen the one who created the heavens and the earth, but he's here and Satan's real. Here's how he worked. And then, of course, verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Now we'll see a shift. The prob- it started out with a dialogue of reason in her mind, wrestling between right and wrong, what my parents taught me, what Pastor Travis taught me, you know, what I heard in church, what I read in my Bible. Uh, this wrestling in my mind, now it becomes sensually related. Now she looks at the tree and it was good for food. So now her eyes get involved. That's why it's so important, uh, guys and girls, but the way that we dress. If we dress in a provocative fashion, it's an enticement. That's why the Bible exhorts us to dress modestly. But now she's looking at it. She's embracing this tree that's good for food. It's a delight to her eyes. The tree was be desired to make one wise. And she took of the fruit. And what did she do? She ate it. She took of the fruit. She ate it. And lo and behold, everything began to fall apart at that moment. Everything started falling apart because what was supposed to be so good turned out so bad. How could could something that was supposed to bring so much pleasure make you smarter, be good to eat? How in the world could it cause so much pain? Let me tell you, Satan is a liar. And when he comes to you and, listen now, tells you that if you just replace your spouse with this other one over here, all your problems are going to be over. When he comes to you and says that, and listen, you want to you understand that serpent? Forget the serpent just a minute. Put the most popular person in school. Kids, go ahead and think, whoever it is, most popular person in school. And let's say it's a guy, and he casts a longing look on you, come on, and you're trying to live for God. But to have this guy, he wants you to go down a pathway that you know is wrong. And he whispers in your ear, come on, you'll be more popular. Everybody will like you. Everybody's doing it in- And you listen. And all of a sudden, something starts pulling you. And then the next day, he wears this muscle shirt. Come on, he should be wearing a large, and he's wearing an extra small to show off all his his muscles. Or vice versa. Put a girl in the picture. Or how about this? Put a business deal in the picture. A guy comes to you and says, I can tell you how we can make some money. 
People are doing this all over. Nobody's ever been caught. I, I know it's against the law, but listen, nobody's ever been caught. It's one of those unenforced things. All we have to do is fudge just a little bit. Nobody will know if you're in the building trade. Nobody will know if you don't go down deeper because in the foundation because, listen, we've got a deal between the architect and the contractor, and there's going to be some kickback involved. All you have to do is just don't put the pilings down so far. We'll save the money. It'll be under the ground. The city inspector's in on this. It's all going to be okay for everybody. It's all okay until the earthquake comes. Come on to the tornado, and the building falls over. But that's the way the tempter works. It's in everyday life and in a society that has no standards of right and wrong any longer and our conscience has been dulled, come on, by the world and by the TV and all of our experiences, then Satan is able to get there and bring destruction in our lives. There's a process that temptation always follows. The New Testament calls it in James chapter 1, listen, this predictable path. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own what? Think about bait to the fish. Think about that, you know, that, that fake salamander, the worm or the minnow. Enticed by his desire. And desire is the, is the heart. And this is why the greatest script, Jesus said the greatest scripture in all the Bible is to love the Lord with. So what does that mean? Let all your desire be to love God. So the tug of war is right here in our hearts. But there's desire within all of us to pull us down a path that's going to be destructive. And desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. Think of this as the flirtation phase. Think of this as the phase is you keep hanging out with that same group of friends, passing that same joint, come on, passing the same, going to the same parties where there's the same alcohol and the same drink, and if you keep going around it, I don't care if it takes a week, a month, a year, five years, sooner or later, desire will conceive because your strength to resist is weakened and something has been awakened inside you. But listen, sin when it is... Fully grown brings death. And here's the illusion. You take a bite of the apple, come on, you take a puff, you snort, whatever the case is, you steal a little bit and nothing happens and your life is better, come on. You steal $1,000, you go home and you buy the new HDTV, and then every time you stand in front of it, even though it was stolen money, each time you look at it, it's big, it's in, ooh, it's full color, it's nice. So therefore, it must be okay, therefore, I'll steal some more. And that's the way it works, but sooner or later... The mousetrap closes and Satan wins. And he doesn't care if he takes a lifetime to do it. Can I tell you, friends, let's be smarter and open our eyes because what he's offering us is never as good, come on, as the offer. It was supposed to make Eve wise. It was supposed to give her, make her feel good. It was supposed to be nourishing. But then in the end, it brought death. And that's the same way Satan works. Come on, tell your neighbor he's a liar anyway. Don't listen to him. All right, Job chapter 31, L let me talk to you about how to avoid, in the next 20 minutes, how to avoid Satan's trap of temptation. How to avoid it. Because my hope to you, now listen, next time we talk, Lord willing, we'll talk about what to do when you make the mistake. But right now, let's find a way how to avoid it. How can I avoid the mousetrap? How can I avoid the David big no-no? Let me give you five things, and they're worth writing down. The first one is set boundaries for yourself in advance. Everybody say boundaries. I mean, no, it's easier, it's harder when you're in the middle of the situation to get out of it. When you're at the party, it's harder to make the decision if you're going to stay. Come on. If you made that decision in advance, it's easier to leave. Be careful where you go. Here's the first one. Be careful where you go because how many know David, when our story started today, David, when he should have been at war, where was he? He was in Jerusalem. He stayed home. 
So when you are, when you make, uh, uh, if you will decide in advance that there are just some places that you're not going to go, you will avoid some of the greatest temptations in your life. I came out of a, of, of, a, of a worldly life when I was in my teens. And to this day, I do not want to go to a place. If there's worldly people, worldly music, come on. If there's drugs, if there's partying, I, I, I don't want to go there. Now, look, I, 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 don't, I don't... Listen, people want to drink. God bless you. That's your business. Uh, but but, but if, if that whole environment is there, and we all know what the end of the night is supposed to end up for everybody, I don't want to go there. That's not the place I want to go to have fun because I want to have a greater desire for God. I, I want to live pleasing to God. I don't want to wake up the next morning and wondering if I've got... Come on, AIDS. I, I don't want to wake up the next morning wondering if I'm going to have to have an abortion. Do I need the morning after pill? I don't want to wake up that way. So the best way I know is to set a boundary in advance. There's some places I'm not going to go. Listen, if you get in trouble in somebody's house every time you go, come on, if you're going somewhere and the police, you know, sooner or later going to bust that place, what in the world are you going there for? You, you just need to decide who you're going to be. You're either going to love Jesus or you're going to love the world. But decide in advance and set the boundary, number one, where you're going to go. But here's another one. Uh, you need to be careful what you see and what you hear. What do you feed your eyes with? Now, Job 31.1, Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully on a woman. Why is that? It's because it makes an imprint. What you see and what you hear makes an imprint. This is why pornography is so dangerous. All right, guys, don't raise your hand or say anything here. Have a good, solemn look on your face. But when you walk through the mall and you see Victoria's Secret, how many times do you look? Oh, I only look one time for five minutes walking down the whole mall. It's making an imprint that your wife can never compete with. You're making an imprint. Pornography statistics are as high as 40. I've read some as high as 48% of Christians that regularly allow it to be a part of their life. You say, well, I don't go to the mall. I don't have that problem. What do you do when you get the mail and Victoria's Secret comes in your mailbox? So how did you know? You were looking in my mailbox? No, I looked in mine one day. And all I did was I was going through the bills and I thought, my God, and moved it quick because I don't want the... Imp Come on. You set up some boundaries in advance of some things you're not going to do some places you're not going to go here's a third one you need to set a boundary about the people that you're going to be with now listen to me i remember the first time when i was a teenager in the world the party world was introduced in my life i remember it i was with my best friend i knew i was raised in church i knew it was right i knew it was wrong my grandfather died an alcoholic drinking a case of beer smoking a pack of cigarettes a day i remember the night he drove the truck into the house because he couldn't put his foot up on the brake I knew all those things, but my friend was there, and I'd not made a decision in advance. You may be with some friends, and if your friends are going down the path that you don't want to end up on, you may need some new friends. The Bible says bad company corrupts good character. So while we're in church, why don't you make your decision in church where you're going to go and who you're going to be with and what you're going to do? 
Why don't right now, as the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about television shows, about movies, about people, you say, these things are just coming to my mind. It feels like you're talking to me. That's the Holy Spirit talking to you. That's the voice within the voice. Why don't you just make a decision right now? I'm setting some new boundaries in my life. There's some things. I'm going to be a different person. See, nobody can cast this out of you. You can come for prayer all you want to, but until you at the desire level say, I desire God more than I desire the things of this world, you're going to be in bondage and you're going to be on a path of destruction. Ooh, some of you are quiet out there. Let me give you another one. That's the first one. If you want to avoid temptation, you need some good boundaries in your life. Genesis 39, here's another one. If you're in a situation you shouldn't be in, get out quick. Sometimes you just end up there, not on purpose, it just happens. Joseph, you know the story in Potiphar's wife, Genesis 39, one day, now he is, Joseph is kind of like the, he's working for the vice president and he's the administrator of the house. He goes into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were there. He's all alone. Think about now, where do you go all alone and there's somebody that you should, you know, other than your spouse there. Potiphar's wife caught him by the jacket and said, come to bed with me. But he left his jacket in her hand and ran out of the house. Can I tell you, if you're in a situation where you shouldn't be in, get out as quick as you can. I have a boundary. One of my boundaries is I'm not going to go anywhere with a woman other than my wife. Now, you might see me with grandma somewhere, but I mean, other than grandma, you're not going to see me anywhere. If I go to a restaurant by myself and you're there as a church member and you're a woman and you say, Oh, Pastor, come on. Hey, hello, hello, come eat with me. I may not. Probably I won't. And it's not because I'm judging you. But it's because there needs to be some boundaries, come on, in our world in advance. And, and, and let me suggest this to you. Do you trust yourself? Do you trust yourself at these deep levels to do the right thing? I'll tell you, I don't. So if I can just set some boundaries, and then when I get in the situation, what do you mean, Pastor? I mean when you're in the car with a bunch of friends and somebody lights up a joint, you get out the first place you can. I mean, you just get out. Get out, get out, get out, get out, get out. You say, well, how do I get home? You, if you call your parents and your parents won't come get you, you call me, I'll, get you. I'll send Robert Trumbull. Robert Trumbull will come get you. I tell, listen, I've told all my kids, I don't care where you are, if you find yourself in a situation, and if you're on a date and your boyfriend is trying to accost you or your girlfriend is trying to come on to you, get out of the car, call somebody and say, come get me. Only if you want to avoid the big no-no. If you don't care about the big no-no, go for it. Matthew chapter 4. Here's the third thing. Use the power of God's word to resist Satan's attacks. Do you know that Jesus was tempted, the Bible says, in all points as we are, yet without? So which means Jesus can relate to everything you're going through. Early in his ministry, uh, listen, Matthew 4 verse 1. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. So the devil made appeals to him. In the third appeal, verse 8, the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. Goes up to a high mountain and he's looking and thinking. The best of everything. The best chariot. The best carpenter tools. Come on. The best food. The best, the best, the best. The Rolls Royce of their day. Everything. Power, esteem, glory. 
And then the scripture says this, all this I'll give you, Satan said, if you'll bow down and worship me. Now stop a moment. When Satan was having the dialogue with Eve, what did Eve do? Talk back. It was a conversation. Come on. It was a tempter's conversation to try to talk you into sin. But what Jesus did, as soon as the devil said, bow down and worship me, Jesus said, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left. So what's the story here? The word of God has power. Use it quickly. What do you mean by that? I mean, the Bible teaches of itself that it has spiritual power. Paul the Apostle underscored this in Ephesians 6 on spiritual warfare when he talked about the weapons, spiritual weapons. One of them was the sword of the Spirit, come on, which is the Word of God. You have the shield of faith and you've got the Word of God. So literally, by quoting the Word of God, you can do spiritual battle against evil. And that, I want to tell you, my friend, is how reasoning in our mind should be addressed is a scripture that speaks to it. Well, you don't understand because I can't, I can't pay my bills. It's not, I don't just have to have nice things, but I can't even pay my bills and make a car payment. And, and I handle the cash at work. And they make so money, so much money, and, you know, they don't have any checks and balances. Nobody's ever going to know. After all, isn't the wealth of the wicked laid up for the just? but not for you to steal it. Maybe when you're thinking about this day after day, you need to type out Matthew 6.33 and put it on your wall in front of you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and God will take care of you. And maybe that's the written word of God, like Jesus said, it is written, get behind me. Maybe you quote something like that, come on, to offset what's going on in your mind. There's power in the word of God. Give the Lord a good hand this morning. Let me wrap up here. Number four, it's to be accountable. Everybody say, be accountable. Yeah. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. Now, normally we use this scripture after people fall into the struggle of sin. Imagine if we applied this before the big no-no. It's as people who conceal their sins, who hide them, who delete the files, who use portable throwaway phones, come on, who deal in cash. People who conceal their sins... Put it on the screen. You know it there. Will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they find what? Is it just possible that the confession is not just to God, but to men as well? Didn't James say, confess your faults one to another and be healed? Now, I'm not saying come up to the mic and say, I want everybody to know I'm a meth dealer. And... No, I'm not talking about that because you'll be escorted out by the sheriff right after by the deputy. But what I am saying is you need, come on, a godly Christian person in your life, at a minimum somebody at the altar of prayer, but ideally some person that you're connected to. See, this is why it's so important for you to connect with friends at church. Come on, a life group, a small group, a ministry group somewhere so you can have some Christians so when you're in deep trouble, come on, so that if you're David and you're on top of the roof and this little hottie is down there taking a bath, you can get on your first century or whatever it would be. Would it be the... Long time before Jesus was born, you know, cell phone, and say, hey, man, you got to help me. Is it just possible that in the middle of temptation, you could call somebody on the phone, come on, and just say, maybe you're out of town, you're on a business trip, and you're really struggling. Is it just possible that you could call somebody and say, I need you to pray for me. I'm being tempted, and it's really hard up here. Say, why do we do that? Because it gets the struggles out of the darkness, and it puts them into the light.
And light kills sin as it begins to grow. And I want to encourage you, if you want to get victory over this thing, add accountability to your life. And here's the last one. Walk close to God every day. Walk close to God every day. Here's why. The closer I get to God, the less appeal sin's going to have to me. I'm telling you, the closer I get to God, the less control it's going to have on my life. That's why it's so important to read your Bible every day. That's why it's important to pray. That's why it's important coming to church. It's not just to feel better. Come on, it's a spiritual discipline to help you stay close to God. Worshiping some during your day. Fasting sometimes. All these things are like weightlifting. Come on. All these things are like building muscles in your life. Well, guess what? If, if there's a, whatever it is, a 150-pound bag of something or a 100-pound bag of something and, and you can't tug it, you find somebody with a muscle that can pick it up and they can just throw it on the truck. Why is that? Because they've exercised those muscles. And the same thing works spiritually. If you will exercise your spiritual disciplines, you will build spiritual muscles and you'll be able to punch the devil in the nose and knock him out. That's why staying close to God, listen, is number one on top of the list. Praise the Lord. Amen. Did you get anything out of this this morning? Yes. Good. Well, listen, a couple of weeks we'll come back and we'll finish, it, we'll, we'll, we'll finish this up about what to do when we stumble. Because every one of us share that in common. We all make mistakes. I want to close with the scripture this morning. It's Psalm 51. And we're going to literally sing that scripture. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to minister to us. So could you just give me five, six more minutes this morning and let's have a little time with God personally to apply this. Nobody's going to embarrass you, nothing like that. I just want you to respond to what God may be saying to you. They're going to turn the lights down just a moment. But we're going to put this scripture on the screen. It's Psalm 51. And let's say this together. It's three verses. Now mind you, David wrote this psalm after he was exposed by Nathan the prophet. But listen to what he said. He said, create in me, say it with me, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Next verse. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Now listen, this is a prayer, this great man of God, a man after God's own heart who made a big mistake, prayed. Can I suggest this to you? If maybe we prayed this every day, maybe we might not get in the mess in the first place. Maybe if every day you added this to your prayer time, create in me, Lord, a clean heart. Lord, would you take my evil desires from me? As I start my day today, I know I'm going to face choices and temptations all my life, but would you give me a clean heart? Would you give me a right spirit that when I see these things, I walk away and the tempter doesn't pull me in it? Give me a clean heart, a heart that's after you. Maybe if you prayed this way every day, Lord, I want your presence more than anything. I don't want to grieve you. I don't want to quench you. I want you to be real to me. Don't ever let the Holy Spirit's voice be silenced in my life. Let me always have, Lord, joy of your salvation. Let me be happy that I'm a Christian. Don't ever let me feel like I'm missing something in life because I'm living a godly life. Let me, Lord, find the joy of my salvation. Don't you think that might make a difference? Let's just stand to our feet. We're going to sing this together a couple times and just invite the Holy Spirit just to come and
and to respond to him in whatever he may be saying to you. Go ahead and just sing it, guys. Let's sing it together. Very simple. We'll sing it as a prayer. Last time is a prayer. this is our desire as we stand in your house a building dedicated to the living God we say Lord that we want our hearts to be after you we want to love you we want to desire you we want you to be more important than anything else in our life Lord I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit would come and and place within us something that's going to help us to be able to avoid temptation Lord we're going to do our best we're going to respond to the boundaries that you dealt with us about today We're going to run if we're in a situation we shouldn't be in. We're going to confess your word in the struggle of our mind. We're going to be accountable to someone. We're going to invite someone else's light into our darkness. And Lord, we're going to do our best to walk closer to you in the days ahead. But we just pray that you would so fill us with your Holy Spirit. Come on, lift your hands to heaven. Say, God, would you just fill me with your Holy Spirit today? Would you just create in me a greater awareness, a greater desire for you? so that I will not carry the blemish of a David-type struggle that follows me. But, Lord, I will live the rest of my days in holiness and purity before you. And we pray this prayer today in Jesus' name. Everybody say it. Amen. Praise the Lord. It was good this morning, wasn't it? Yes. Praise the Lord. God's a good, 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 good God. We want to close this way. If you give me just a moment for prayer, we'll sing a song one time and we'll be dismissed and go about our day. But I know there's a lot of you that are here today that something in this sermon really tweaked something in you. And the perfect way to close the message today is by praying for someone. And let me tell you this, everyone in this room needs prayer. Starting with me. Particularly if there's some stronghold in your life. If there's something that's kind of made out of bricks and mortar where Satan has defined you. Maybe he's defined several generations of your family and you want it broken off of your life. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your spouse. It's somebody that's got a stronghold in their life. Can I tell you, God has the power to break strongholds. 
There's nothing in your life. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's, if it's, if it's some uh, inordinate desire towards children. I don't care if it's, an, it's, an, it's, a, it's a, a bent towards violence. I don't care if you have lied all your life. Can I tell you, God has the power to change and break those things. And maybe the place of prayer could be your time. Maybe you're here today, and today you need to get right with God. Can I tell you, no prayer more important than this one. God, I want to give you my life. I've made a mess out of it. I want to ask you to forgive me my sins and put me on the right track. Maybe your day today is the day to make a commitment to follow Christ. I want to tell you, friends, the most powerful prayer I ever prayed in my whole life was on August 15, 1976, when I asked Jesus to forgive me and I committed my life to Him as my Lord and Savior. Maybe this is your defining moment to get your life right with God. So whatever it is today that you want to make a connection with God, our prayer team is going to come. We're going to sing this one last time. And as our prayer team comes, you need to connect to God. Just slip out of the chair right behind them. You need prayer today. You want to make a commitment to the Lord? You want prayer for anything? You come as our prayer team comes. Let's just begin to sing it, guys. Create in me a clean heart. Come, let us pray for you today. God is here. God cares. And God is bigger. And God is able to do with you what you can never do with yourself. Come let us pray for you this morning. I love you very much. There is power.